I was seriously overcome by the cuteness. It's really, really cute. Um, although you may get a protozoan parasite by handling it. Whatever. It's totally worth it. Welcome to Hello PhD, a podcast for scientists and the people who love them. In this episode, we tell you how to get your quiet lab mates to open up and talk, and we give you tips for getting better treatment when you travel. Stay with us. Welcome back. This is Hello PhD, Episode 7. I'm Joshua Hall. And I'm Daniel Arneman. And we will explore the human side of science culture and life in the lab. How you doing, Dan? I'm doing very well. We have a very special beer tonight. I got a big bottle. A big bottle of special beer. Tell me about it. This is Samuel Smith's Nut Brown Ale. Sammy Smith. I, <laughs> I don't think that's what they call it. They say Samuel Smith. It's very formal. This is brewed at the Old Brewery Tadcaster, established 1758. This is as much as I can learn from the label. What's, what's the location on that? Eng- Product of England. England. We have gone international on the Hello Product PhD. of England, sourced by your Trader Joe's. Gotta love TJ's. Yeah, they had quite a, quite a selection this week. So I picked this up, and I like this one. This one's it's not a style that I normally drink. I don't drink a lot of brown ales, mm. but it is much sweeter than a... a a lot of beers that I try. Yeah, I'm I'm getting a lot of um, caramel notes, and and the color is quite dark. It is. Are you a are you a caramel person or a caramel person? I grew up in Pennsylvania where we said caramel, but now I probably say caramel because I'm a food snob. Yeah, I think I grew up caramel. Not that I grew up somewhere where we normally pronounce things correctly, but I think caramel, caramel apple, caramel corn, caramel corn. Yeah, I definitely was a caramel person. Do you say crayon or crayon? Um, I'm definitely a crayon. Oh, you're so snobby. Not not a crayon person, although I do uh, do not distinguish between a writing pen and a stick pen. Okay, well that's a that's a southern thing. We can't get into <laughs> that. We are way off topic. Um, Samuel Smith Nut Brown Ale is what we're enjoying. Um, you just got back from some travels, didn't you? I did. Um, I actually had. A great, uh, great time off the grid. I actually, was uh, away from cell phone service, computer service, uh, Wi-Fi, podcast service, podcast service, uh, off of social media entirely. You were being punished for something. I don't understand. No, I was camping and hiking at the north rim of the Grand Canyon. I repeat, you were being punished for something. <laughs> camping is is the same thing as being punished for something. I assume. Uh, well, it was fantastic, and because I'm such a lucky guy, um, the the Grand Canyon area of Arizona, which has been under drought conditions for quite some time, um, happened to rain most of the time I was there. Or did you cause it? Well, Correlation is causation. If I learn one thing from science, your presence caused rain. Well, the only way to know for sure is I need to go back. I think they should, they should fund your trip. Yeah, the Grand Canyon, that's something. It's, uh, you know, I had never been before, but... Um, it is truly something. It takes your breath away. It was more than I expected. It was it was brilliant. They don't call it the Meh Canyon. It was indeed grand. I yeah. encourage anybody, if you haven't seen it, to, to check it out. It was amazing. But you also made it over to Vegas? Yeah, so um, flew in and out of Vegas, um, and something interesting happened while I was there, and I want to get your opinion on this. So uh, flew into Vegas, um, just stayed, uh, stayed one night, in Vegas before getting an early start to the circus, Grand Canyon. Circus, circus. I know you love the circus <laughs> games. Uh, 
just stayed at one of the um, casino hotels right on the strip. It was cheap. Wasn't going to be there for a long time. And uh, so I got a, a pretty cheap room, $90 a night room. Not That's too a good bad. price anywhere, yeah. I, exactly, exactly. And so I went to check in and uh, gave my name to the, the desk clerk. And she she looked at me and said, "Well, sir, would you mind if we upgrade you to the presidential suite at no extra cost?" I assume she heard the podcast. I don't. That doesn't make <laughs> She's sense. She's a big fan. Yeah, she She's a big be. fan. So this room was uh, pretty unbelievable. Uh, I had to actually, you know, it's one of those you had to stick your card in for the elevator to access uh, that floor. It was the only floor, wow, top floor. Uh, so that was cool. Thirty sixth floor. It's like spy agency level of cool. Yeah, yeah. Double doors to get into the room. And, and Donald Trump was up there fluffing the pillows. Well, uh, I think my uh, the square footage of my townhome as a grad student was less than wow than this place. How did you get it? It wasn't because you're a high roller. I've well, I've, no. I've met you. I know you work in science outreach. It's yes. not because you're a whale. Yeah, certainly not. Um, and you know, I just chalked it up to a fluke. I chalked it up to uh, whether it was a first-time guest or maybe it was a weeknight and it was a slow day, whatever. They're not doing this out of charity. Uh, but the thing that got me was, uh, so on my return to Vegas before I headed out of town after the, the hiking and camping, different hotel, um, went to check in. Again, very reasonable rate, you know, sub $100 a night. Same thing. Hmm. Same There's a trend thing. now. Uh Said, I'm going to give you room up on the 29th floor. I'm like, sounds good. Go to the elevator. 29th floor has the little PH for penthouse. Were, next there, to it. were there actually only 28 floors and then made you <laughs> sleep on the roof? <laughs> That's right. It was, yeah. uh, it's hot in Vegas, but yeah, it cools it down at night. So it, it was does. okay. Uh, so that got me thinking, like, what is going on here? And you know, actually. Well, uh, what's the cause then? Well, I have some family I was visiting out there, and uh, I have a, uh, a cousin in the casino industry, and I was telling him about it. And certainly they do things like that for certain customers, but. Um, you know, he thought it was a little interesting that it happened to me, and especially the second time on a weekend. So it was clearly so your a very cousin busy looked time. at you and said, "Yeah, this doesn't sound right." So, but then it hit yeah. me. Um, one thing that I started doing when I travel, uh, and I did this—I don't remember who told me this—but um, it stuck with me that once uh, once my friend got his PhD, he started uh, referring to himself as Doctor So and So anytime he would sign up for a flight or a hotel. Uh. And so that's something I started doing. Yep. Yeah. If you got it, flaunt it. And I can't help but wonder if the doctor in front of my name. Yep. They thought you were an anesthesiologist, not a <laughs> microbiologist. <laughs> Fooled them. Yeah. Exactly. Right. <laughs> well, well, that's that's a it's an interesting. Uh, I guess it's a tip. So have have other people done this? Let's I, let's ask the listeners. I don't know. So that's my hypothesis. So my charge to the listeners of Hello PhD. Whether you have a PhD or not, I don't really care. But try try it. Throw doctor in front of your name uh, when you travel and see what happens. And if something cool happens and you think that's why, let us know. Although I will say the thing that's always made me a little bit nervous about this is flying on a plane. I can just imagine some woman oh, yeah. going into labor or some individual having a heart attack. They look at the role of people on the plane and say, Is someone here a doctor? We see that Dr. Hall's in seat 13C. We're going to need you up here. Oh, no, no, no. I'm not that kind of doctor. Yeah, I can culture a swab later, but that's about it. <laughs> oh, you need some, uh, you need some RT-PCR? You want me to... Yeah, so let, let us know if you have tried this. If you, if you put doctor on your reservations, um, I suppose even if you don't have a PhD, I suggest that you do not put PhD on your reservations. They may actually give you less. Who knows? At the very least, they'll feel sorry for you. I think that's right.
All right, so um, what are we going to talk about today, Dan? What's going on? Well, we have an interesting... Uh, we're going to protect the, the name of this particular person. We're, we'll call her Sue today. But um, Sue is a, a post-bac student, so she's getting ready to enter graduate school. So a post-baccalaureate. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, that was not clear. No, just making sure you didn't say post-doc. I was just making oh, sure no, no, I understood. Post-bac. Post ah, post-bac. Okay. I pride myself on my enunciation. Yes. Okay. So... Uh, she has started working in a lab where everybody is very quiet. And so um, she writes in, I just started in a research lab and I have an issue. The lab I joined is super quiet. For most of the day, people just do their experiments, sit at their desks, focus on their computer screens, and there's very little conversation and communication. I'm new to the lab, so I'm finding it very difficult to learn about what's going on, hear about people's projects, etc., since there's very little informal conversation going on. Not to mention, I feel a little jealous that some of my peers joined labs where they play music, go out for beers, and are generally pretty social with one another. I think the science is interesting, and I really like the PI, but the silence makes it difficult to pick up on things and makes lab generally a less pleasant place to be all day. What should I do? Wow, this lab sounds like a PI's dream. Yeah, everybody's <laughs> working hard with their heads down. <laughs> sounds terrible. Huh, so... That does sound a little bit like a drag. I mean, I have a lot of really pleasant uh, memories of camaraderie and, and, you know, fun that we would have in the lab as a grad student and as a postdoc. You have pleasant memories of time wasting is what you're telling me. Well, you work hard, you play hard. I guess that's true. Yeah. So um, I, is it a problem that they're quiet? I mean, it sounds like she's, she's hitting on some things where she's not even able to understand a lot of the, the research going on because nobody is talking. Sure. I mean, it sounds like, um, you know, on a broader scale, is it a problem for the lab environment? I don't know. Um, but it does sound like it's a problem for Sue. Yeah. She wants to be in a place where she feels she fits in. And maybe that's part of it is I don't fit in in a place where no one talks to me. Yeah. And, you know, something that stood out to me in the, the question was um, Sue seems to like the, the research that's going on there. Uh, it's just the environment that's the issue. And so, you know, I think the environment is critical for your success, especially as a as a graduate student. If you're not happy or an environment doesn't fit with your particular needs, that can really be a roadblock. But, you know, in this case, um, I think there could be ways to, to overcome this. Yeah, it's really important. Um, I have, I've, I've told Josh about this. I haven't mentioned it on the show yet. I have a sort of four-part list of what makes you happy in your work. And one of the key parts is environment. So... The, mm -hmm. the way the work environment is really matters. You could love the, the field you're in. You could love the skills you're using. You could love the lifestyle you have outside of lab or whatever you're doing. But if you go in every day and it's a drag, you won't stay there. Absolutely. I often tell, um, tell students this, and I don't think they always believe me, but I think especially as a graduate student um, or um, earlier in your training, an undergraduate, post-baccalaureate, or graduate student, I think that being in an environment where you're going to get really solid training for you is more critical than the specific research you're doing at that stage in your career. It's probably a, a bit controversial to say that, isn't it? Yeah, I could see how people might disagree with me. And certainly I think you have to be interested in what you're doing day to day. But I honestly think as a science trainee, learning how to think critically and be a scientist, um, those are really skills you're going to carry with you. Because really, I mean, nobody or very few people... Uh, spend their make their life's work um, 
whatever they were doing in graduate school, or especially as an undergraduate, in this case, a SUA post-baccalaureate. Yeah, that's a that's a key point. I think when, when we were looking at uh, rotation labs and when we were looking at labs to join, I'm sure we thought, you know, we talked more about what is the research, how much are they publishing, not about, well, I get really excellent training here. Yeah, you know, but I remember for me, um, you know, it really came down to gut feeling. There was one of my rotations, actually my last rotation, just really felt comfortable to me. And um, I don't know, that made a big impression. And and looking back, was that, that felt comfortable? Was it that you felt like you were going to get really excellent training? You know, I felt like for who I was and what I needed, um, I think I just felt comfortable uh, with that environment. I seemed to... Uh, it fit me. I felt like I was most myself in that environment, and I, that's me. That was something that that's I tricky. Was, that's hard to that's hard to send out into the world and have people experience it. Although I guess they'll know in their gut whether they yeah they and like where they are. And that's me. I think some people, uh, you know, we could talk about personality profiles. I'm very much a feel person. Um, I make decisions that way. Um, certainly, there could have been more analytical ways to make that decision. I may have come to a different decision. Um, had I approached it that way. But for me, that was the right thing. But, I, you know, I don't necessarily think from Sue's question that um, just the fact that a lab environment's a little quiet right now is necessarily um, a reason to to cut and run. Um, if you like the science, Sue said she also liked the PI. So, um, you know, I think one... Worth giving it a chance. Then. I think it's definitely worth giving it a chance. And, you know, one, one place to start could be... Um, why Why is the lab quiet in the first place? Yeah, it seems like there are a couple options here. I mean, it's possible that they're just all introverted people. Um, and that, that term gets thrown around a lot, but I think it comes to mean people who um, kind of thrive on, on their own internal world. They get their energy by being by themselves. They don't need a lot of stimulation. And um, we haven't made any book recommendations on the podcast yet, but... I read a book called um, Quiet, The Power of Introverts in a World That Can't Stop Talking by Susan Cain. And she she really kind of outlined some of the science on um, how even at a at an infant stage, people who react very strongly to stimuli become people who uh, want to be introverted later in life. And they don't need that much, mm. um, I guess, not just talking, but but stimulus in a lot of different ways. A lot of, um, you know, they don't want to be in big groups and they don't want to go to parties and they don't want to just make idle conversation. So it's possible that scientists have a bigger proportion of people who are more introspective, more introverted. Yeah, do you think that's true? I mean, that's certainly the stereotype. Um, Do you think introverts gravitate to science? I don't know if introverts gravitate to science or or even if the proportion is much larger. So, you know, I definitely do think... um, Scientists tend to be more introverted. I myself am an introvert, but my wife is a school teacher. And if you've ever hung around school teachers, they are a very extroverted bunch. You think as a rule they are? I don't know. All I'm saying is I've spent a lot of time hanging around scientists, and I feel pretty comfortable in those settings. But let me tell you, going to work events with my wife throughout the years, very stressful to me. Yeah, because you're an introvert. Yeah. Oh, man, these people are crazy. These teachers... Very extroverted. Noticeable difference between hanging out with a group of teachers and hanging out with a group of scientists. And and how do you cope with it? Uh, I would usually just sit in a corner sipping my beer while I rock back and forth. Yeah, that, that seems healthy. <laughs> Hoping someone will come up to me and talk to me, but then they don't. 
<laughs> because rocking in a corner is such an approachable body language. Well, and I had on my headphones. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, Sue is not an introvert. You know, there are plenty of extroverts in science as well. But it's possible that she just found a lab where all of these people want to be quiet and they don't want to have a lot of outside um, activity. Yeah, and I think um, you know many of these personality traits, introvert, extrovert, are, uh, are much more of a sliding scale. Very, very than fluid, a binary. Yeah. Um, and even an introvert will want to talk to you. You know, it's not the case that an introvert doesn't want to talk to anybody. It's that they want to be comfortable with you before mm-hmm. they have this kind of deep personal conversation. Yeah, and from Sue's perspective, I mean, this in some ways she's indicating there are some practical issues she's having as a new person in the lab, wanting to get up to speed, probably needing help learning new things, figuring out what, just kind of get her place in the lab. That's become a little bit of a, the lab environment, the quiet um, lab culture is a little bit of a barrier to her getting what she needs. And so let's think about what... Um, I mean, there there are a couple of other possibilities here. Do you think that there's some kind of hidden, hidden conflict? Like, I don't know if you've ever walked into a room where two people have been fighting and and like they just get silent and you feel super awkward because you're not part of whatever it is, but there's something else going on. Or like maybe the PI has previously yelled at the lab for having too much idle chatter. I don't know. That's true. She wouldn't know that. I mean, I'm deducing a little bit because she seems to like the PI and maybe that's not what's going on, but it's true. There could be some sort of history there. Yeah. Maybe there's not this dictator style of leadership. Yeah. And I think, you know, I think if that was the case, she probably would be able to pick up um, on that a little bit, but something to, to keep in mind. Are they, are they just very busy? I mean, when I'm, when I'm working very intensely, I don't like to be interrupted. I think that could be a likely scenario that happens a lot. And I know I get that way as well. Um, you know, as an introverted person myself, um, I also know when I, you know, when you get on a roll or you just want to get your work done, you, you do have a tendency to want to just put your head down, uh, get done more efficiently without a lot of, of disruption. Um, that being said, you know, I think it's not an unreasonable request. I mean, one thing about science that I think I said on a previous uh podcast I think it's totally true science is a very uh, very much a team sport and I think that's actually one misconception a lot of people have about science and about scientists is that we are a bunch of uh, you know anti-social people who sit in a room all by ourselves and do experiments freaks and geeks <laughs> so uh, you know but that in my experience I've found that very much to not be the case um, that there really is um, a lot to be learned and discovered uh, through sometimes and oftentimes actually informal conversations that go on either over lunch or over beer or in the lab um, during idle times. And so, so it I might think actually that's be, important. It may actually be hurting the lab if if she's walking into this situation and she says, no one's talking to anybody. It's not just that they're not talking to me because they're not comfortable Nobody's talking to anybody. That could actually be detrimental to the lab's forward progress. Yeah, and you know, I in my job now, I spend a lot of time um, working with students and especially talking to um, PIs um, and their students together. And um, so, one thing that I often hear from PIs is they actually want the people in their lab to be having these informal scientific conversations. Informal scientific, not just plain informal. Well. Usually the scientific is thrown in there. 
but as you know, I mean, sometimes there's a free flow between talking about Game of Thrones and then talking about right. what's going on with your experiments that week. You are so much more modern than I am. I've been watching Doctor Who episodes from like the early 2000s. So, uh, yeah, you, you said Game of Thrones, which is a reasonable thing to talk about in lab recently. I'd be talking about Doctor Who. You know, Doctor Who, uh, that's a show that I want to get into because I have not seen it, but people whose opinion I respect no, it's, seem it's to totally watch that campy. show. We're, we are way off track. It's totally campy. You should watch it anyway. Um, but you think that, that the PIs that, are actually supportive of these conversations that are not about Game of Thrones. This is a very British episode we have going so far this week. <laughs> we have a British beer, Doctor Who. We should have less British beer and more discussion. <laughs> uh, we will have tea time uh, after the etymology Perfect. section. Uh, but getting back on track, um, you know, I, I certainly have found that PIs actually want this communication. And uh, it's funny we're talking about this topic because um, very recently I was talking to a graduate student who his lab was having a similar issue, if you could call it that. The lab environment was very quiet. And he said his PI actually instituted a policy where she banned the use of headphones in the lab. Earbuds too, or just headphones? All ear-worn devices that transmit sound. I would have to invest in invisible ear-worn <laughs> devices. Um, and, and you know, that may sound extreme, but I kind of get it um, on one hand because, you know, I remember when I was an undergrad, it was a little bit, I'm not that old, but it was pre-iPod day. And I remember the way music worked in the lab in those days where we had the lab stereo with the CD player. Oh, yeah, it was incredible. I heard so much terrible music. <laughs> but you really had, it was like, uh, you know, it was competition to see who got to get there first and put their CD on uh, yep. because then everyone had to listen to whatever. I remember hearing specific complaints from another lab that one of the, the I think it was a grad student, listened to opera. And he got in and he put on opera. And, and like opera is wonderful, but it's a very small niche of society that wants to hear it. Yeah. Whereas if you're listening to like, I don't know, pop rock or whatever, 80s funk, mm. people, more people are going to like it, theoretically. Case in point why this was an issue. But nowadays, you know, everybody has their own device, their own earbuds. So I think it's pretty common if you walked in any lab, there would probably be a subset of people with, with earbuds on. But uh, I've heard several PIs actually complain that this is detrimental to that informal scientific conversation because a couple of things happen, I think, when you wear headphones. And that is the first, the first thing is you are cutting yourself off from any type of conversation that's happening in the lab around you, some of which could be useful. Uh, maybe the maybe the TAE buffer got contaminated or was somebody was having an issue there and you might not know it and you're having issues with your gel. Another thing that can happen is that I think you send a signal when you have ear, earphones on, Dan. Like no, it's totally true. And that says, uh, don't approach me right now. We actually, I work in, a, in a, a software company, and it is stated, we use the, the headphones, the earbuds, as a sign that I am working on something and I don't want to be interrupted. So if I put my headphones on, it's actually, it is known, it is explicit, try not to bother me because I'm working on something. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And and so, you know, I think there's a there's certainly a place for, for earphones and earbuds. Maybe you really are working on something that you need to focus and it's critical. You're doing yeah, some writing. The banning of earphones seems a bit draconian because I can see there's a use. But I, I also understand the other side, which is if everybody is wearing them all day, you do have this situation where 
communication is now forbidden. Yeah, and I think there are times for it. You know, certainly, I did a lot of work in the the BSL three lab by myself. Or tissue culture hood over here. Yep, lots of time at the tissue culture hood where you're alone anyway. And certainly, doing mundane tasks for hours. You know, your music or uh, a podcast might really help the time go we, quicker. We recommend a specific podcast for all headphone time. You know, all seriousness. Uh, so when I was talking to the grad student in this lab, you're going to think I'm making this up, but this is totally the truth. Uh, he had had told me in the same conversation that he had listened to Hello PhD and really enjoyed it. Oh, that's great. I recommend that podcast <laughs> highly. Uh, so anyway, I asked him, I was like, oh, did you hear our, our last episode? And he was like, well, no, because I would always listen in the lab. And our there, are more, there are more hours. You can listen to it in your car. You can listen to it at home. You can listen to it while you sleep. It's great. Hello PhD does not condone the listening of our podcast during lab time. I really valued um, headphones and, and podcasts and audiobooks when I was in the mouse room. Yes. The mice do not care if you talk to them, it turns out. Turns out. So there you go. Um, but, you know, getting back on track, um, you know, thinking about Sue's question, I think there are some ways that some advice that we can give Sue to maybe help her um, overcome this issue she's having. And, and one of those is, you know, as a new person, I, it can be intimidating to walk into a situation and um, I guess feel like you can um, just become part of the conversation or feel like and feel empowered, I guess, to um, ask questions. Yeah, you're, not, you're a bit of an outsider. And as a new trainee, particularly as an undergraduate, I mean, you haven't established your place in the lab, maybe. It's probably very intimidating to walk up to a postdoc or the PI and say, you know, I want to talk. Yeah, that's true. Um, but I say it all the time. You know, at the end of the day, you have to be the one that takes charge of your own training. And if there's something you need, you have to be able and willing to advocate for yourself. And so, Sue, the advice I would give you is if people are quiet, but there's something you need to know or want to know, take the initiative and just break through that. And so, you know, one thing you could do is let's say, um, you know, you see a postdoc or a graduate student working on something at their bench. Go up to them and just say as an icebreaker, hey, what are you working on there? I don't know that technique. Tell me a little bit about what you're doing. Or say, um, you know, somebody at their desk. So what exactly is your project? I'm trying to, to wrap my head around everything that goes on here. Tell me a little bit about your science. So, Sue, what you're recommending is kind of a one-on-one, -on -one, a more, uh, a less confrontational way. Instead of announcing in the middle of lab, I want to know about things. <laughs> you're saying go kind of quietly to the person. Hey, what is this technique? I don't understand this. And and honestly, people want to help. I think that's I think they true. do. Even if a personality is such that they seem to be quiet, um, often, I don't know if I've met a scientist who is not excited or interested to talk about their work and their project and, and something they know a little bit about. And so, you know, you should definitely feel willing to do that. Can I recommend another icebreaker? It's called Two Truths and a Lie. <laughs> <laughs> and this icebreaker. <laughs> yes, you should definitely get everybody together at lunchtime uh, yeah. over some ramen. Throw a tennis ball around and each person, <laughs> it's going to be, you're going to love it. It's going to be so much fun. Take a certain number of M&Ms. You will be cast out of that lab and the <laughs> doors will be locked instantaneously. Yeah, uh, no need for no need for team building games. But yeah, I think just go up to people and, um, and initiate conversation and, and see what happens. I think you might be surprised 
um, that you might actually be able to be an agent of change. And and when so so Sue came to you and did you give her this advice or? Yeah. So so actually, um, full disclosure, I know Sue, and and we had this is based on a conversation that that we had. Um, we actually talked about this in person before um, we we talked about it on the podcast. And so it turns out um, Sue did that. She actually went into her lab. She did two truths and a lie. <laughs> I'm so pleased. <laughs> uh, she did not do two truths and a lie this time. That was her plan B. Um, but what she decided... Lie. My name is Sue. <laughs> uh, truth. I love the Hello PhD podcast. Fantastic. Uh, but Sue actually did that. She went in and she went up to people and just broke those questions out. What are you working on? Tell me a little bit about your project. Um, just really entry-level um, you know, questions to get people talking. And what she said, which is really cool, is that once somebody started talking, then someone else who was sitting maybe at the desk uh, next to that person then jumped in. And now um, you know, people actually are getting together and having these conversations about science much more regularly. Uh, so she really did play a role in kind of getting people talking and having these conversations just by asking these questions. So it's N equals one, but but it's nice to see it it demonstrated in real life. And and if no matter where you are in your science career, you can make a difference in the overall productivity of the lab. I mean, it's a pretty incredible story to think that this this not even graduate student yet yep. has has now improved the level of communication in a top tier lab yeah and i think it's you know i think it just goes to show um, you should always feel empowered to um, get what you need in your training and so um, as a scientist you should and as a trainee you should never be afraid to ask questions if there's something you want to know and i think what you'll find is is most people like talking to you they like answering questions they like being helpful it's just sometimes you have to take the initiative to to break down that wall excellent well, can I do this week's word puzzle, word origin puzzle? Yes, the etymology puzzle, always a favorite. Okay, so last week's clue was this bow-shaped protozoan parasite was originally discovered in African rodents known as gundies, not in cats. Now, did you have a guess this week, Josh? I actually, I think I know this one. Okay, go ahead. Which is exciting because I never know it. Uh, so uh, with my microbiology background, I'm going to go out on a limb and say you were talking about Toxoplasma gundii. You got it exactly. Now, what gave it away? Well, I have never heard of a gundi. Yeah, uh, me, me either. But I happen to know Toxoplasma, uh, Toxoplasmosis, yep. which is caused by Toxoplasma gundii, is thought to be often caused by cats. Yeah, so the cats part gave it to you. And I, my undergraduate lab that I worked in for two or three years, I don't even remember now, was a toxoplasma lab, but I never actually knew what the name meant. I don't, I don't know why it took me so long to look up, but I did. Um, and so uh, this one is really kind of cool to me because the history of the word uh, has changed over time and uh, it doesn't mean what you think it means. So toxo, I think toxic. I, I don't know what you think. Yeah, that's what I would have thought. Yeah, and that's what it meant in kind of late Latin, but it came from Greek and it came from some uh, languages prior to that. In in the Greek word toxikos actually refers to arrows in archery, which is kind of an unusual thing. And it's because there was a particular kind of poison, 
which toxic comes from, that was used on arrows. Um, before that, toxon meant bow. So this comes from Scythian, which is a very, very old language. But but the original meaning of the word toxic and toxo comes from the word bow because they huh. poisoned arrows. Really very bizarre thing. So plasma, I thought, had something to do with blood. It actually means something that's shaped or molded. So toxoplasma is bow-shaped, and that was in the clue. There you have it. And Gandhi comes from the, the Gundy. I'll post a picture of a Gundy. They're adorable little animals. Also known as the comb rat. The comb rat. Yeah, it's kind of a gross thing. to. <laughs> I think Gundy is cute. Can, can we post a picture of a Gundy uh, on, the, on the website? I was seriously overcome by the cuteness. It's really, really cute. Um, although you may get a protozoan parasite by handling it. <laughs> Whatever. It's good. Totally worth it. Looks, yeah, it looks a little bit like a hamster or a chinchilla. I'll put it up. So... That was the answer, Toxoplasma gondii. Um, hopefully you got it. And I'm going to give you this week's clue. What's the puzzle for this week? Okay. So this minimally invasive surgical technique may use a small camera to take a look through an incision in your flank. So again, this minimally invasive surgical technique may use a small camera to take a look through an incision in your flank. Remember, we're looking for a scientific word described by the clue. And once you get it, you'll find that the literal meaning of the science word is a phrase in the clue itself. So if you think you know, you can email me at puzzle at hellophd.com and uh, we'll find a winner. Sounds great. I'm always excited to find out what the answer is because I usually don't know it. I'm going to go look up the word of caramel because that is our beer flavor of the week. Yeah, this is a good beer. I've really enjoyed it and really enjoyed the discussion today. Um, I hope this is helpful to any of you out there dealing with some... um, introverted folks in your lab maybe the answer is take a bottle of the smith's nut brown ale and just crack that open in lab people start talking about a lot of things so that's all the time we have for this week um dan uh it was good good talking to you as always i enjoyed it let's do it again sometime if uh if you guys enjoyed the podcast we would really love for you to spread the word um we would love uh, any of you guys out there share Hello PhD with uh, one one person in your lab um, this week, and or we would one, appreciate it. Or one listserv of ten thousand people. That'd be even better. Even better. Uh, feel free to give us a rating or review on iTunes. You can always connect with us through email podcast at hellophd.com, on Twitter at hellophd or on the Facebook. We would love to hear from you. Uh, send us your questions about things you're going, uh, going through in the lab, and we'd love to talk about it here on the show. We'll see you next week. See you next week.